0: Paul's on me to read the word again this morning. So I'm not going to give you a Bible reference because we are reading from three portions again, but it'll be on the wall behind me. The first one is Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. And it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idly and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fractions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now we turn into Philippians 4. The head in his final exaltation. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally then, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, The Lord bless his name. Amen.
1: Well, uh, Steph has already mentioned my uh, third office of Costa Coffee. I don't know if you realise that. We're very fortunate, the pastors in this church. um, We've got three offices. Um, So my three offices are, um, first of all, there's the office down off um, uh, Wentluke Road that Dave and I go to once a week to do the podcast. Secondly, we both got our home office where we, we do a lot of our work. And thirdly, me in particular, I have to admit, is Costa Coffee. Um, it, won't be an off- it won't be my office during sabbatical, Steph, before you tell me off, but I will likely be there quite a bit. But um, I was on my way back from Costa uh, a few days ago. I was actually working on this sermon about the fruit of the Spirit and about peace and forbearance in particular. And uh, something happened to me, that often happens to me, actually, on my way to or from Costa. I was walking down the, the hill there, uh, Church Road, getting down towards the dip on the Zebra Crossing. Um, went to step out on the Zebra Crossing and a car goes <laughs> straight past. Doesn't even, doesn't even slow, didn't even slow down. No attempt whatsoever to even think about stopping at the Zebra Crossing. Uh, something else happened then um, the next day. I had the car in the garage Down in Leckworth, um, picked up a hire car, nice little hire car. um, I'm driving to the first big roundabout there at the end of the road and stalled at the roundabout. And this lady in the car behind me leant on her horn. She didn't beep her horn to check that I wasn't aware that the traffic was moving. She leant on her horn. And on both those occasions, and they're not the only examples I could give you, they're the only two I'm going to give you, on both those occasions I can tell you now that for a few moments at least, love and joy and definitely peace and forbearance exited Matt Bounds' mind and heart. As I'm saying that to you, I'm smiling and a few of you laughed. But I think what the Holy Spirit says to me and is saying to us this morning is when that happens, and love and joy and peace and forbearance and all the others, just, just head for the exits. Why is that? I really believe the Holy Spirit wants us to ask, why? The Spirit does that because He promises to grow this fruit in me. And I, I believe by His grace, and it really is only His grace, I believe it is growing into me, in me, but all too slowly maybe all the same, he speaks to us through his word this morning because he wants to grow this fruit. And he will do it in his sovereignty, but in order to grow this fruit, you see, he needs this heart response from us as we do our part in cultivating the fruit. So are you with me as we try and do that this morning as we look at peace and forbearance? Um, Deb said patience. Actually, in a lot of uh, versions, it's patience. In the more recent NIV, it's forbearance, which is interesting and I think useful. Let's look at them one at a time. Let's start with peace. We know that we serve a God of peace and we follow as Christians the Prince of Peace. So it's no wonder that the Holy Spirit wants to produce peace in us. Because he wants to increase our likeness with Jesus, doesn't he? He wants to produce peace in us to make us more like the Savior. To make us more like the one, Jesus, who knew perfect shalom. Maybe you know that word. That's the word for peace from the Old Testament. Shalom, peace, Um, It carries the idea of wholeness, togetherness, perfect peace. Despite, Jesus experienced that perfect shalom, despite all the sorrows and trials that he faced. Because it's important to say that, isn't it? Upfront, peace. In the Bible, if you've come across it at all, you'll start to realize peace in the Bible is not the absence of strife. It's not the absence of hard things happening in your life hard things happening in your body, hard things happening in your mind even. No, peace is about peace with God, peace within, and the peace with other people that flows from that. So you notice there are three dimensions to that. Yeah, and they're up on screen behind me. Three dimensions to this peace that Christians have. I mean, All the fruit of the Spirit, actually, I think it's fair to say, they vary in how much they're expressed and how much they're experienced vertically, internally, and horizontally. Some of them, I think, as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, the main emphasis is vertical, or the main emphasis is horizontal, or maybe the main emphasis we'll see is internal. I think when it comes to peace, biblical peace, Christian peace, we can say that it works in all three of those dimensions. The emphasis here in this passage in Galatians, primarily on the latter two, but the latter two don't make sense until we talk about the first one. The first aspect of the Christian's peace. We only have those two because of the first, so we need to discuss it. So let's do that. And the first dimension of peace is peace with God. Listen to these words, Christians, from Paul, as he wrote to the Romans, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just say that again. Since we've been justified through faith, we've been forgiven simply by putting our faith in Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else added to the equation. No good works to earn your right standing before God. No, since we've been justified, forgiven through faith, we have peace With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The moment that someone comes to faith in Jesus, they put their trust in Him, they rest in Him, they they run to Him and ask Him to be Savior, they turn away from their sins and trust the crucified Jesus. The moment that happens, that person is in a state of peace, a position of peace before Holy Almighty God. Peace means that God in Jesus is now always for you, Christian. And that includes when you sin and when you fall and when you fail and you feel that conviction. He is just as much for you in that moment as He has ever been and just as much as He always will be for you for eternity. Because through faith in Jesus, you are justified and you now have peace with God. No condemnation, no separation, no estrangement from him anymore. This is the once for all peace, the state of peace, the condition of peace with God into which a person enters when they come to faith. Unlike the fruit of peace that we're going to see, which is something that can grow in the Christian life, this position of peace with God that you are in is done when your faith is in Jesus. Permanent. That is peace with God. We have to start there because, you know, the next two bits just don't make sense and they don't work unless we're clear on that. You only have peace with God through Jesus. And when you've come to Jesus, you have peace with God. And no one can take that away. The devil of hell cannot take that away. The circumstances in life cannot take that away. You cannot take that away you have peace with God. That's the gospel. But we need to also talk about the second dimension, peace within. Personal peace, if you like. This now, now we're getting into fruit of the spirit territory. First one's not fruit of the spirit. That happens when you come to faith. Before you've had any any chance to grow in the fruit of the spirit, you have peace with God. And that's unchangeable. But what about the fruit? Well, the first aspect is this peace within. The Spirit grows this inner peace in someone who has come to Christ. What is this peace within? Well, it's not striving to be, this is in my notes actually, though Steph did use the word as well, it's not striving to be as zen as you possibly can. It's not about simply trying to develop a more chilled character. You know, I'm the type of person, you might say, I I don't relax easily, I just need to learn to be more chilled. That's not what this inner peace is. It's not rising above or being totally unaware of the hard circumstances that you face. You know, that's that's the way some Eastern religions work, isn't it? You've got, uh, suffering's an illusion, so just don't think about it. No, suffering is not an illusion. It's very, very real. And you can't just forget about it. That's not what this peace is. Just like joy is not the absence of struggle or the absence of sadness, as we saw last time, so peace is not an absence or unawareness of hard times. What peace means is, and we were singing about this, in the storm, you have Jesus with you. In the storms of life, you know that you're right with God and that that cannot change. You know that you've been adopted into God's family forever. You know that you're loved and you always will be. Inner peace, this inner peace, this Christian peace, this fruit of the spirit peace means that Jesus is, And your relationship with him defines your reality and defines your identity. I'll say that again because that's so important to hear in these days. Jesus and your relationship with him defines your reality and defines your identity. So what's happening here with this inner peace is the objective state of peace that you are in as a Christian with God is being experienced in your heart in a subjective way. And I say it again, you can't be at peace within until you have peace with God. If there's anybody here who's seeking peace this morning. You, you long for it. You know you haven't got it. You want it. And you're looking for it maybe in a thousand different ways. You will not find true inner peace anywhere but through faith in Jesus Christ. And once you have peace with him, it will filter into your heart and your life and your experience. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, the, the threat to that experienced inner peace is often our circumstances, but it might not be. Your, your external circumstances might be okay, but you still lack that sense of peace. Maybe it's because you lack assurance in your faith. You, you believe you put your, your trust in Jesus, but you lack that assurance. Maybe it's just generalized anxiety. I mean, it's a condition, isn't it? The doctors, psychiatrists, psychotherapists recognize this generalized anxiety disorder where you just can't switch off from this state of anxiety you're in, which may have physical causes or other causes. So it might not just be external circumstances. It might be other other things that are threatening this inner peace. But the solution is basically always the same for the Christian. Asking the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit of peace in you and doing your part in cultivating that fruit. We've been saying all along, haven't we? You'll be sick of me saying it by the end of this short series The Holy Spirit grows this fruit as a supernatural thing. You can't grow this fruit. It comes from him, but you can do your part. I can do my part in cultivating the soil. We have a part to play. So how do we grow this fruit of peace within? Let me give you a few things. First of all, remind yourself that the Holy Spirit wants to grow this in you and the Holy Spirit will grow this in you. If you're a Christian, this fruit will come. So don't find yourself saying, I'm just obviously the type of person who will really never know this sense of inner peace. The Holy Spirit wants to grow this in you. And he's sovereign. And he's powerful. And he does miracles. Amen. He will do this in the Christian. Another thing you can do is you can preach to yourself. I know I've said this a few times. I'll probably say this every week as well. Preach to yourself what God's word proclaims about your position in Christ. Preach to yourself that through faith in Jesus, you are justified. Through faith in Jesus, you are adopted. Through faith in Jesus, you have peace. Problem is, I think, we, we do this occasionally. We try and preach it to ourselves, and we wonder why it's not sticking. It's because we're not preaching to ourselves enough. I mean, we don't, that's why we don't, in this church, preach once every quarter, and then preach... Again, the next quarter. We do it every week because we need to keep hearing God's word, don't we? And this is the same when we're preaching to each other. We all need to preach more. Not many of us preach up the front regularly on a Sunday, but we all need to be preaching. And I'm not, I don't mean to other people, I mean to our own hearts. Preach these truths about your position in Christ. And remember here's another thing remember the principle that you don't get peace within by looking within. That's not how you get peace within course that's very much in a different way what our culture is saying to us especially these days isn't it our culture of expressive individualism as it's been called our culture tells us that you find meaning you find rest you find peace you find wholeness ultimately in you ultimately if you're true to you really true to you you'll find peace To which I say on the basis of God's word, no lie. That is the complete opposite of the truth. That is a, a bankrupt way of thinking. Real peace in my heart doesn't come from me, but comes from the God of peace. I don't get peace by looking within. I get peace by looking up, ultimately. It's the same with lack of assurance. When we lack assurance in our faith if we're constantly looking inside and putting our faith under the microscope and asking, how's my faith doing this week? Is it strong enough? What's going on through in my mind and my heart and my life? I mean, you've got to do a bit of that as a Christian, but if you're just looking within, you're not going to get peace. I, I'm bound to be depressed if I'm constantly looking within. I look to Jesus. I remind myself I'm trusting in him. That's where the peace comes. He himself is our peace, Paul said to the Ephesians. Even Christians Sometimes search for peace elsewhere, we do, don't we? Um, in the NHS and their treatment, or their prevention, in positive thinking, in all sorts of relationships and people, we look for peace, even as Christians sometimes, in all sorts of places, and we forgot to go to Jesus, the Prince of peace. So don't look within for inner peace. Look to Jesus and do those things that the Holy Spirit tells you to do to grow that peace within. Listen to these words. Um, They were read to us from Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. I mean, admittedly, when I read those verses, those words, and it gets to that point, I'm like, yeah, right, Paul. Until I remember some of the things that Paul went through and still was able to testify to God's peace. But that's what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then here's the promise part, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, it doesn't make sense naturally, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Literally, will garrison your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I mean... The, I find, I find these verses hard, but this is God's word and it's a promise. I've certainly struggled with anxiety. Anxiety, by the way, in the New Testament isn't always a negative word. It's sometimes used to speak of care for other people. Paul speaks of his anxiety for the churches. There's a, there's a good sort of care and anxiety. But generally, the Bible counsels us not to let anxiety become the dominant concern in our hearts and minds. How do you ensure that? Well, what Paul is saying to the Philippians is, pray, be talking to God. The the sense is you need to be doing this all the time. Pray, ask, and thank. Make sure you're talking to God. Yes, ask him to help you. Yes, ask him to take your fears and your anxieties away, but be seeking to thank him in the midst of all that for your position in Christ and for all that he's done in your life and all that he's going to do. And I don't think it's some magic wand that when we do this, try and do this on one occasion, then all the worries will go away and we'll suddenly have this massive sense of peace. But this is God's word and it's a promise. And my testimony is that this does happen when you trust God's word and when you obey it. So even if the circumstances, the difficult circumstances remain, what Paul seems to be saying to the Philippians is that that point, as you keep doing that, something better happens. And stronger than the anxiety is established in your heart, and I know that can be complicated my, my own experience some years ago of suffering for for some months from anxiety depression, severe anxiety i mean in the sense that i was there, there were a few days i just i was ter- I was terrified the doctor prescribing me all sorts uh, and I have to say for a few days this sense of god 's peace in my heart was not obvious to me. I can say to you that my objective peace with God did not change for a nanosecond in that. And he never let me go. But I I struggled to feel it. So I, I know that it's easy to say to a Christian who's struggling with anxiety, don't be anxious. Thank God and pray and ask him to help you, and he will give you a piece, his peace. But the reality is it can happen even in anxiety and depression. And I know people in this room can testify to that fact. I didn't help myself in my anxiety and depression. I mean, when you're suffering from that, you can't just switch it off. It just doesn't work that way. You can't just put on a worship tape and feel better when you're struggling with the depths of anxiety and depression. But you can still do this. You can still turn to the Lord and ask for his peace and thank him for his love for you. And the miraculous thing can happen that his peace in your heart gets stronger. And more and more as it does so, it garrisons your heart. It doesn't take away the external circumstances or doesn't take away the anxiety like a silver bullet. But the peace of God starts to garrison your heart. So I suppose for some of you this morning, I'm asking, do you believe that's true? Do you believe God's word? The first step is believing it's true. And then he can start to work this in us. So these are the things we can do to grow this inner peace within us that we get from God. We need to ask also, am I seeking my peace in other things? Am I seeking my peace primarily in my family, in my job, in my relationship, in things? No, no, only Jesus makes it well with my soul. And that's the inner peace that we can know in Jesus. And we must move on to peace with people. Because I think probably more than this inner peace, the peace within, Paul's main emphasis as he speaks to the Galatians is this last one, peace with people. The reason I say that is if you look back at Galatians 5 and you read about the acts of the flesh, listen to some of these, verse 20. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, he knew there were potential problems amongst them. And he says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. He knew divisions were an issue. So I think when he says the fruit of the Spirit is peace, his main emphasis above all is that when we have this peace with God and this peace within, that that will show in peace with others. Remember this fruit of the Spirit, all this fruit of the Spirit is both natural fruit that the Holy Spirit grows and often commanded by God. Paul said to the Romans, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. (laughs) I don't mind hearing live at peace with most people. I can do that. But live at peace. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And there's a promise attached to this. Jesus said, you can read this in Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Living out the gospel by demonstrating the peace of God that God has won for us and put in our hearts, living out the gospel means doing everything we can to pursue peace with others. Christians, primarily but it's not limited to just Christians. When Jesus says, blessed be the peacemakers, I'm convinced one of the things he means is, blessed are those who bring people who don't know the Prince of Peace to know the Prince of Peace and to have peace. So living out the gospel means pursuing peace with other people. The Christian who claims peace within and refuses to seek peace with others is a walking contradiction. He or she is disconnecting the gospel From everyday life. I'm functionally saying when I refuse to pursue peace with someone. Who I know I'm not in a state of peace with. I'm functionally saying the gospel is my ticket to heaven. And that's it. But it's not. Believing the good news means I'm going to heaven. But it means my life is going to be transformed. Including in this. If you aren't living out the gospel of peace. The Spirit is speaking now in order to grow that winsome, Jesus-like fruit in you so that you pursue peace with others. We talked about this when we talked about forgiveness some months ago. That doesn't mean, you know, forgiving someone and pursuing peace with someone doesn't mean tolerating certain behaviors. It doesn't mean you say that evil things are good. If it puts you in the way of being abused, then certainly wisdom would dictate that you can't pursue a relationship with that person. But barring those extreme circumstances... God's word is saying to the Christian, be someone who pursues peace. Because you have peace with God. Doesn't mean avoiding conflict at all costs. When you look at Matthew 18, when Jesus tells the church how to deal with sin, he says you need to confront sin in others sometimes. If you can't just pray and let it go, you need to go and tell them their sin. And if they won't listen, take a friend with you. And if they still won't listen, you might need to take it to the whole church. That's why we have church membership. In case that happens. So it's not about avoiding conflict at all costs, but it means that you as a Christian are seeking peace with others for the unity and purity and peace of the church and for the sake of your Christian witness. Maybe you're thinking about one of your neighbors right now. You've fallen out with and you haven't made an effort with them for a long time because you've got to the point you said enough's enough. Maybe you're thinking about family members, same thing. Well, I praise God that in My life, God didn't say enough's enough. That's enough. He's had enough time. The Prince of Peace pursued me. How do we cultivate this peace with people? Well, we walk by the Spirit as we saw week one. We ask Him to grow this fruit in us and we do our part to cultivate this fruit by being peacemakers. So Christian, who is it you need to go to? Maybe this week, maybe today, Who is it you need to go to and seek to be reconciled? You can read about this in Matthew 5. Jesus says, if you're at the altar and you're about to offer your sacrifice and you remember that someone has something against you, go and sort it out with them. Do we make every effort, as Paul said to the Romans, as far as it depends on us to live at peace with everyone? Have you done everything on your part? Are you, Am I quick to apologize? Do I go after people? To make peace with them. Do I try and go and talk to that person. Instead of gossiping about them. Because if you talk to someone else. About another Christian. And you, and you add on the end. It's, this is for prayer. But you haven't talked to that person. Then it doesn't matter how you dress it up. It's gossip. Are we peacemakers? Do we call people to peace with God. But then refuse to make peace with others. That doesn't please the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't draw the lost. And nor does, and we need to get to our second one, don't we? Lack of forbearance. That's peace as fruit of the spirit. What about forbearance, patience? In most of your English versions, probably uh, forbearance, patience. Does this have a vertical and internal and horizontal dimension? Vertical, not so much. I don't think I, this isn't. This passage isn't about calling us to have patience with God. In a sense, there's an internal dimension. Remember our motto verse from a few years back? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So I think there is kind of an internal dimension to this. But undoubtedly in Galatians 5, the main emphasis when he talks about forbearance, patience is the horizontal one. Peace with others and patience with others. Primarily in the church, but not only in the church. Uh, the word forbearance in the NIV is helpful because it gives the idea not just of being generally patient, but bearing with others. I love the old fashioned word for it. Might be um, in, in your version in front of you, possibly, long suffering. <laughs> not as in being a martyr, oh, I'm so long suffering. No, no. You, you are patient with that person and you pay, you're prepared to be long term. You don't put time scales on it. Again, this is a command as well as a fruit. The Holy Spirit will bear this in the Christian's life, but it's also something we are commanded to do. Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 4, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Same Greek word as you get here in Galatians, though it's translated differently in the NIV for some reason. Be patient, bearing with one another bearing with one another in love. You can't do these things without love. That's why love's first in the list. And if you really love, you're going to be peacemaking and you're going to be patient with people. Literally, the word makrothumia in here in the Greek means to have a long temper, not a short temper, not a short fuse, but a long one. And not a long one as in, or oh, mine's much, i got a much longer fuse than him or her. Mine burns out at this point. No, a long fuse as in, It doesn't come to an end. This fits with the fact, doesn't it, that Paul says to the Galatians when he he names the, the works of the flesh, discord and fits of rage. It's obvious it's this horizontal sense of forbearance that's most important here. But too many of us have got a short fuse. I mean, some of us, especially professionals, pastors, we're very good at dressing it up. We're very good at hiding it sometimes. Maybe not so good at hiding it from family or when someone nearly runs over your toes in the zebra crossing. But too many of us have short, much shorter fuses than we should have. And we've got all the excuses in the world, haven't we? Uh, I'd be patient if it wasn't for their in the gap. If it wasn't for their sin. They keep doing that. Honestly. I'd be more patient if it wasn't for their foolishness. You know, bless them. We always say bless them because it softens it up. Bless them. It may not be deliberate sin, but that's just so foolish. I can't be patient with them anymore. I'd be much more patient if it wasn't for their irritating ways, I think. Not having any irritating ways myself. I'd be more patient if it wasn't for their uselessness. But the whole idea of patience and long-suffering presupposes sin or at least weakness in the other person, doesn't it? Otherwise, there's nothing to be patient with. We don't struggle to be patient with people who appear nearly flawless. We don't struggle to be patient with people who are being kind and considerate towards us at that moment. The point is that the fruit of the Spirit, remember, is gospel fruit. It is showing that we have been transformed by the good news and we are growing like the God who has saved us. And this is one of his... Lovely attributes. Praise God or none of us would be here. None of us would be saved. Certainly none of us would stay saved if it wasn't for the long suffering and patience of God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, the psalmist says, slow to anger, abounding in love. Look up at that phrase, slow to anger, in your Old Testament. You'll find it again and again and again and again and again. You get the idea it's there a lot. Paul said to the Romans, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, sinners, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for his glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? We are saved. We are forgiven. We have peace with God. Because God is slow to anger. Because he didn't wipe out this world in judgment yet. He didn't immediately carry out his just judgment against me. And as always, of course, Jesus is our supreme example of patience. Do you feel you're justified in being impatient and angry towards those who don't treat you well? Jesus prayed for his executioners. For those who spat on him and fashioned a crown of thorns and pressed it down onto his head do you justify lack of forbearance because that person's behavior is so provocative jesus family thought he was mad and the jews accused him of having a devil and he loved them do you feel impatience is natural because of that person's frustrating shortcomings jesus loved and taught and washed the feet of his intransigent and spiritually stupid disciples he loved them so much question I ask is, am I growing in this Christ-like patience? The signs of it are that I'm not growing in it, that I'm angry a lot. But of course, I'm speaking to a room full of Christians, so we don't get angry a lot, do we? We get frustrated, which is a nice Christian word for getting angry and not completely losing it externally. How does the Spirit grow this in us? This forbearance, he'll convict us of our short temper, our anger, our frustration. Maybe he's doing that in your heart right now. He will lead us to ask, why am I angry? He's asking you this morning, maybe, as you think about those things that you get angry. Why that, though? Why do you get so angry over that? Because probably that situation, that thing is so vitally important to you, that when it's threatened, that's when your anger rises up. Maybe your priorities are threatened. Your pride is offended. Your position is threatened. Maybe you, like I, think of yourself too highly. To put this another way, what is the idol that you're worshiping instead of God? Do you remember the story of Jonah? We've looked at this ages ago as a church. He's furious with God because God is such a patient and merciful God towards the Ninevites. And then he shelters as he's watching Nineveh to see what God's going to do. He sits under this bush And the bush dies, and he gets furious with God because his plant has died. But God said to Jonah, how patient is God with Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. So what does God do? What I do in those circumstances is, there you go, Jonah, you get your wish. Strike him dead. He's patient with his prophet, who is so impatient. But why does Jonah get so furious about the plant? because his kingdom is threatened. His priorities are threatened. His kingdom and aims don't line up with God's kingdom and aims. And this is a prophet of God. This can happen to us. Listen, a temper, someone has said, a temper can destroy a testimony. You can't lose your salvation. It can't stop the Holy Spirit working in your life because he's sovereign, but it can destroy a testimony. So the Spirit convicts us to grow his fruit and to grow our testimony. He points me to Jesus. He tells me to remember the forbearance of God which has led to my salvation. He reminds me that if I applied my own natural criteria for forbearance to my relationship with God, I would have to conclude that God must cast me off as a hopeless case. But he patiently works in me by his Spirit, doing that long horticultural work in me to make me more like the Son to make me more patient like Jesus. I I found myself thinking, maybe like you, through this series so far, what a sinner I still am. How much I still struggle with the flesh. But I'm also finding myself thinking, oh, I just want to be more like this and more like Jesus. Here's the good news to close. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and will do in you. And we'll do it all the quicker as you cooperate with him and seek to cultivate this fruit. So let's ask him to do this, shall we? Let's clear the weeds in repentance. Let's cultivate the ground in our lives by doing our part, by heeding his word. But above all, let's plead for God, the Holy Spirit, to grow this fruit in this community, in our hearts, for his glory, for our joy, and to, and to draw the world around us to Jesus. Shall we do that? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Sovereign Spirit, Comforter, Advocate, Spirit of Jesus. We just lay ourselves before you now and ask that you will work in us. We are sorry for our sin. We are sorry for the things that we do that directly work against the fruit that you're seeking to grow in our lives. But we thank you that you don't give up. We thank you that you are at work in us, that you will grow this fruit. And we're asking, grow it quicker, Lord. Grow it quicker, Holy Spirit. Help us to do our part in cultivating the ground, in clearing away the weeds. But please, we know the most important thing, Holy Spirit, is that we ask you to do this in our hearts and lives. Do it for our joy, Lord, as well as for your glory. But please do it so that we become more attractive, winsome people. To the blacksliders, to the prodigals who've wandered away from the church because the church has been so unkind at times, intolerant, angry maybe. Forgive us, cultivate this fruit in us and draw the wanderers back. Lord, draw to you through us, your sinful people, draw people to you in faith. Maybe for the first time someone here this morning, Lord, has heard how patient God is, how he will judge sin, but he offers salvation in this day of salvation. Lord, Work in that person's heart so that they trust this merciful God through faith in Jesus right now. But cultivate this fruit in us, Lord, is the main thing we're praying this morning. For your glory, for our joy, and so that the world is drawn to Jesus. In his name we pray.